when Christ says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't mean the burden we bring on ourselves by fighting his will. It's really depressing to hear women say that they've been praying to be freed from some burden, which, after learning more details, you realize is a burden that they have taken upon themselves by acting in direct contradiction to God's commands. Are you familiar with the full text of the Serenity Prayer? Oftentimes only the first four lines are printed in a journal or embroidered on a tapestry or framed as an inspirational quote. But those first four lines are actually barely a third of the full prayer. Here's the whole thing. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships, as the pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever. We're going to take um, living the serenity prayer in two parts. Developing a discipline of living the serenity prayer does so much for our ability to maintain a spirit of joy. There's a lot going on in this prayer and I really want to lay a solid foundation for understanding it, for understanding what exactly it is that we're asking for when we pray it, which will then help us to lay the foundation for discernment with regards to living it to living this prayer in our marriage, to aligning our actions with the words of our prayer so that our actions become our prayer. In order to lay this solid foundation, I'm going to be coming at this from a few different angles, so stay with me. Let's talk first about raising kids and the difference between disciplining our kids and controlling our kids. And even if you don't have kids conceptually, this should all make perfect sense. Our purpose in disciplining children, our objective, is to form their conscience such that they will know what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, when we are not around to tell them one way or another. Our objective is that they should be autonomous with regards to their discernment. If we make our children permanently dependent on us to tell them what they should or shouldn't do, then we're not serving them well. With regards to morals and virtue, we want our kids to be autonomous. Makes sense, right? So if the latter is happening, if what's happening is that instead of being able to discern right from wrong, our kids are depending on us to always tell them what they should or shouldn't do, that's not discipline. That is control. And that's a problem. For our kids to get to heaven, they need to be able to choose good freely 
which means that they need to be able to discern what is good apart from the instructions of their parents or any other authority. Okay, so there's our first point, distinguishing between discipline and control with regards to our kids. And it's not that they will never have recourse to authority. It's good for them to have good moral examples and good moral authority to to reach out to, to consult, to confer with, but ultimately it comes down to the formation of their conscience. Their conscience should be well formed so that in the absence of any helpful legitimate authority, they can move forward with confidence. Now let's zone in a little further on control. Control is not inherently bad. As we read two weeks ago from 2 Timothy, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. So when God gives us control over something, another way of saying that is that he has given us authority over it. What authority is given to you by God is meant to be used in service of him. So going back to the discipline versus control thing with kids, it's not serving God to exercise control over your kids if doing so results in them becoming dependent on you to be their moral conscience. However, what's an example of a situation where control over your kids does serve God? Well, when you have a newborn, <laughs> you're supposed to start off breastfeeding your child every two hours. You have con- complete control over that. You know, a newborn is learning what it means to feel hungry, what it means to feel full, and it's also a learning process for mom. When newborns are hungry, they're tight-fisted, and when they're full, their hands relax. The point being that this is a situation where a mother has control over something which primarily affects someone else, um, and it's good. It, it can be in the service of God, right? So not all control is bad. We have to be able to discern between what is good control and what is bad control. So let's go back to the serenity prayer and let's read that first line that we're all very familiar with. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I'd like us to consider this sentence and I'd like to switch out the word change with the word control. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot control. The courage to control the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Huh. Let's talk about authority versus capability. This should be quick. Just because you have the capability to do something doesn't mean that you have the authority to do it. Right? You might be perfectly capable of robbing a bank. <laughs> that doesn't mean that you should. Right? Um, or in the context of your marriage, if your husband is the breadwinner, you might have access to the bank accounts and you might have the capability 
to make a $20,000 purchase without consulting anyone, it doesn't mean that you have the authority to do so, right? If your husband is the breadwinner, yes, everything that is his is yours and vice versa, but a $20,000 purchase should probably be in the overwhelming majority of healthy marriages, <laughs> something that should be discussed with him first. So authority versus capability. And this is what is meant by the wisdom to know the difference. Again, God has given you control over something that means that he has given you authority. So if we reread this altered first part of the prayer, here we go. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot control, the courage to control the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. In that very last part, the wisdom to know the difference, we're talking about an ability to discern between what we are capable of controlling and what we have the legitimate authority to exercise control over. And this discernment is where a lot of us wives get lost. And it started with Eve. And this is why Pope Pius Twelfth felt the need to address us wives very directly and explicitly. Quote, Dear Christian wives and mothers, never allow yourselves to yield to the desire to usurp the scepter of the family. End quote. We first heard this quote a couple of months ago now in episode four, when we fail to discern between base capability and legitimate authority. Because of our fallen nature, we are liable to repeat the mistakes of Eve and usurp the authority given to our husband by God. You know, one thing that should be very obvious to us, but I know isn't all the time because I forget it all the time and I have to have a discipline of reminding myself daily, is that it is not possible for any of us to want what is good for someone more than God does. <laughs> It is literally impossible for any of us wives to want heaven more for our husband than God does. God is the one who wants to share heaven with all of us. He's the one, he's the only one who can actually decide if we get to enter heaven or not. And it is insanely presumptuous of us to suppose that we want to get our husband to heaven more than God wants to. Why do I say that this should be obvious to us as if it isn't? Because when we go against God's will, when we go against God's designs, when we go against his plans and justify doing things our way in our efforts to get our husband to heaven, the truth that God wants what's best for our husband's soul infinitely more than we do is the truth that we lose sight of and that we actively reject. Ladies, look at Christ crucified. Yes, your husband's sins hurt him more than you can ever comprehend. 
But your unchristlike efforts to bring your spouse to heaven also burden Christ on his cross. Look at Christ crucified and understand that he suffers more for the sins committed by your husband than you do. And that you add to Christ's sufferings by going against his will. If you want to console the heart of Christ in and through your vocation as an authentically Catholic wife, begin by not fighting Christ by employing methods of which he has not approved, methods against which he has cautioned, attitudes which he has condemned. And this is exactly where we pick up on that little-known second half of the serenity prayer. Accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. It is God's will that you were born a woman. (laughs) And so in any marriage, this or any other marriage you could have made, you were not willed to be head of your family. You were always willed to be helpmate. That was God's will. That is God's will. And your goal as helpmate in bringing your husband to heaven is not terribly unlike your goal to lead your children closer to God. The key differences are, number one, that you are not in a position of authority to discipline your husband as if he were a child. And that, number two, you have vowed to spend your life working towards your husband's salvation, which is not something that you have vowed to the kids. But the similarity, which is key here, is that it's your job to set your husband up for success. It's your job to help him want heaven so deeply that if you got hit by a bus tomorrow, he would continue ardently seeking heaven on his own. You know, If God wills that you go first, oh my gosh, ladies, your husband is not going to miss being made to feel small. He's not going to miss being disrespected. He's not going to miss being shamed and made to feel like a failure. And when we try to exercise any amount of control over our husbands, those are the memories that we're giving him. Now, if you're currently in a place where you're so angry with your husband that you can't find it within yourself to take care what kind of memories you're giving him, can you consider doing it for yourself? Can you consider for yourself giving yourself the dignity of being remembered for your faithfulness and not for your sinfulness? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot control, the courage to control the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. 
Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever. When Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 to 20, uh, sorry, 28 to 30, quote, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, end quote. Ladies, Christ cannot lighten for any of us the burden we bring upon ourselves by fighting him. He promised to give us rest if we learn from him, if we take our instruction and our cues from him, if we follow his example, if we image him. But any hardship we undergo because we reject his designs for woman and specifically for wife is entirely on us. When we stop trying to control what was never in our control or what we have the capability but not the authority to control, oh my goodness, <laughs> how light our burden becomes. Pope Pius Twelfth says, quote, the creation and laws of God always have a beneficial and powerful effect. When, however, human selfishness or malice interpose, causing disorder and turmoil, then the wholesome benefit disappears, and there follows an incalculable amount of damage, almost as if indignant nature herself were revolting against man's efforts." End quote. So let's go back to good control and bad control. If God has given you a certain authority, then exercising that authority and controlling what God has permitted you to control is what you should be doing, and he will bless those efforts. So first and foremost, God has given you the ability to control yourself. So in living out the serenity prayer, we always come back to self-examination, to self-knowledge which is what makes this part of that discipline of joy. We talked about the discipline of joy being all about self-knowledge and a continually deepening self-knowledge. So here it is. Do you take responsibility for yourself? Do you take full responsibility for your actions? Do you take radical responsibility for your actions? And then second, God has given you legitimate authority over certain things and beings outside of yourself. Again, going back to the example of having kids. You know, maybe your husband has left the extracurricular activities budget in your hands, and so it's up to you to decide season to season if you're going to sign the kids up for various sports activities. You get the idea. Bad control can be expressed more simply in a single word. Disrespect. And this shouldn't be offensive. I would hope that when someone 
oversteps their boundaries and tries to manipulate or control you, that you would recognize that as disrespectful. Well, ladies, that's a two-way street. If it's disrespectful for someone to try to manipulate or control you when they have no legitimate authority to exercise over you, then it is disrespectful of you to try to manipulate or control your spouse. Logic. We always come back to logic here. (laughs) If you missed episode four, I highly recommend going back and listening to that. We shared almost a dozen quotes from multiple popes on the God-given authority of husband over wife. So here, we're not even focusing on husband exercising authority over wife. We're just focusing on the part where we as wives must not attempt to usurp the authority of our husband. We are going to pause here for this week. And in part two of living the serenity prayer, we are going to zone in on bad control, aka disrespect. Just as we gave examples, illustrative ones, of what a woman struggling with reaching for rest or reaching for gratitude might look like, In part two, we're going to be sharing a compilation of very clearly disrespectful behaviors. But before we do that, we're going to spend next week examining some modern challenges to cultivating a culture of respect in marriage by talking about Eowyn and Arwen. I'm very excited about next week's episode, and I interrupt our series on living the serenity prayer on purpose, because I think that talking about these modern challenges will help us when we do begin to nitpick about disrespectful behavior. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you. And we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast.